Okay, um, we are turning the corner to Proverbs chapter 6 today, if you want to turn back in our verse-by-verse study in the book of Proverbs. Uh, as you're turning there, uh, one of the things that, that Proverbs does uh, in, in the busyness and the chaos of modern-day family life is, is Proverbs puts on the table uh, the discussions that we ought to be having with our children. Uh, I mean, think about that. Think of the average life of your teenager, your typical teenager today. Some of you have just sent teenagers off uh, to boot camp. You know, some of you will be sending them off to college here in a little bit. Some of you are thinking about uh, the semester, the high school semester, starting seems like way too quickly. Where did the summer go? We're mid-July already. So, um, but wherever you are in this in this season of parenting, or, or maybe maybe your season of parenting is is uh, the season of grandparenting and great grandparenting now, and that's great. But but you're here at Grace Bible Church, and you're part of the of the team for coming alongside our young people and our parents here. Uh, being an encouragement to them, but but whatever your season, uh, one of the things that that I struggle with as a parent, and and maybe you do too, is there, there's all this stuff, and you feel like there, there's so little time, and and so often it, parenting just becomes a, you know, you're, you're the schedule manager in in the the chaos of, of of an average young person's life, and and yet Proverbs, this is what Proverbs does. Proverbs is always putting these things on the parenting table, saying, talk about this, make sure you don't forget this, talk about this, and that's what we're going to see this morning is the Proverbs once again, uh, putting on the parenting table or, or arranging an agenda for us as parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, wherever you're at, uh, three topics that we need to talk about. Now, we spent the whole last chapter talking about sexual temptation and sexual sin. That's certainly a not just a theme then, but we're going to see that theme come back a number of times because that's one of the big ones to address with our children. But we're going to see today uh, three more topics, and uh, this will get us into Proverbs chapter 6. We'll see how far we get today, uh, starting a little bit later here. Um, but we're going to talk, Lord willing, today about surety, sluggers, and scoundrels, uh, three topics that uh, we must cover if we're going to be faithful parents. And really, what these three topics um uh, get at in terms of content are the importance of training our children in financial wisdom. I mean, think about it. The, the and I, I need to give you some hard numbers on this, so I'm just going from sort of ancient memory here. Um, the average college student that graduates in America, how much debt do they have coming out of college? And then they got a they got a degree in uh, in art. Uh, they got a degree in uh, something that makes it really hard to get a job. Okay, and I'm not I love art people. That's great. That's awesome. I'm not trying to pick on that. I'm just saying that when you come out with this huge amount of debt and you have a degree that's not going to help you to pay back that debt, and we need to talk about the wisdom of just taking that debt out in the first place. That's another talk for another day. But that's the problem, and, and and that doesn't start when they graduate and and they call you up and say, "Mom, I'm starting to get, um, yeah, I'm starting to get letters in the mail saying in six months that interest that was being deferred while you were in college, the payments that were being deferred are due, and I'm still looking for a job, right?" And, and that, that scenario, one of dozens of scenarios that young people can get themselves involved in, that doesn't, that doesn't need to be, the conversation doesn't start there. The conversation needs to start in high school. The conversation needs to start with teaching them financial stewardship and basic wisdom involving that. 
Um, the, the second area we're going to see today is the issue of self-governance. Uh, that young people, as they, they uh, grow up in our homes, one of the things we're trying to do is not just teach them financial wisdom, that's important, but we want to teach them how to govern themselves. That, that, that's you know, parenting starts with you do all the governing because they're too young, they're too immature, they, they can't even talk, they, they can't even walk, you know. And then a, as they grow up, the transition is, you know, you're taking your hand, and this is hard for some of us as parents, I know, because we, we all have control issues in this, but, you know, as you grow up in parenting, as your child grows up, we're supposed to be taking our hands more and more off the wheel and letting them assume the responsibility for self-governance of their life. Now, that's hard because they're going to make mistakes, right? That's hard because you've got, uh, you know, 20 plus some odd years of, of maturity beyond, you know, them at that point, right? But, but that's, that's the point is to help them grow in self-governance so that they're not dependent on you for the rest of life. That's not God's plan. God's plan is that they would leave father and mother and assume 100% of the responsibility for their life. Well, how's that going to happen? It doesn't happen by an accident. It happens as we train them to learn self-governance. And, and uh, Solomon's picture of choice is to go analyze ants to learn how to do that. So we'll talk about that in a minute. And then the last part is the issue of wickedness and particularly the issue of deception. Um, I don't know um, of too many issues more destructive in any relationship and that of being deceptive, deceitful, and lying. Because if you can't trust somebody, you can't have any sort of meaningful relationship with them. And in our fallenness, we're all prone to deceive and to lie in order to do all sorts of things. So those are the three topics that we're going to look at today. So number one, we talk about surety for strangers. And, and young people, you may, not, you may not know what that word surety means, and that's okay. I will explain it to you, okay? Here's what it means. In the ancient day, so back at the time this was written and even before when uh, Moses is receiving the law, the Israelite nation is being built, the law allowed a creditor to take a surety or pledge in order to secure himself for the repayment of a debt. Okay, so young people, how's this work? And I'm going I'm to translate this a little bit into our day today so that it makes a little more sense because really... Uh, it's interesting, and maybe some of you have studied this, adults. Um, the financial world back then is really different than the financial world today, though some of the same principles apply. You know, an interest-bearing loan was not something that was really known in the ancient day like we think of it today. So, so it's not totally apples-to-apples comparison here, but, but go with me on this, okay? So let's say, uh, let's say you need a loan to buy a car, teenager, or you need a loan to buy your first house or something like that. Um, the, the entity that's going to loan you that money wants to know that it's very likely they're going to get their money back, right? They're not going to loan money to you unless they're confident that you have some means by which to pay that money back. And, and the way that often look, they're going to look at your bank accounts, they're going to look at if you own property, they're going to look at other assets and things like that. And we have financial people, wonderful financial people in our church that can tell you way more than I understand about this, okay? But that's the idea. They're not going to give you a loan if they don't think you're going to pay it back, okay? Uh, that's And in our day, that's about building credit and other things like that. So in the ancient day... The way the creditor, the person that's going to loan you the money, is inclined to do that is there needs to be some pledge given to them. Someone, someone or something has to guarantee that that loan is going to be repaid back. Because if you don't pay that money back, 
the creditor is going to go, I'm taking my money. I don't care if you can't take it back. Someone is going to pay back this money. So a pledge or a surety was a, a way that helped that creditor to know that that money would be paid back. Financial people, am I doing okay? Is it good? Okay, all right. So, so here's what would happen. In Israelite law, the creditor, the guy that's going to loan you the money, might say, okay, so um, uh, let's pick on Alan. Let's say Alan wants a loan because he's going to buy his first airplane, okay? So, uh, and, he, and then the, the, the airplane finance guy goes to him and says, okay, you need $100,000 to buy your first airplane. Okay, so let's fill out this application. And they're looking for some assurance that you're going to be able to pay this money back. And, you know, he's 14, so he doesn't have that yet. So he says, well, maybe you can talk to your dad. Maybe you can talk to a relative. Maybe you have a friend who has more assets, more money, uh, property, stuff, and that other person will sign the loan document with you so that if Alan can't pay it back, then the loan the guy giving the loan is going to go after that other person to get the money back. You see, that, that's, that's the pledge. That's the surety. So now look back in chapter, Proverbs chapter 6 with that background and watch how this works. My son, if you have become the surety for your neighbor, in other words, if you have co-signed on the loan with a friend, with a neighbor, and actually says here in the next verse, with a stranger, Solomon's going to say, son, that's a problem. That's a big problem. Because why? Because if, that, if, the, if the person that got the loan defaults on the loan, meaning they, they, they can't pay it back for some reason, um, Alan, who are they going to go after? They're going to go after the other guy, right? Who are they going to go after? They're going to go after your mom or your dad or, or whoever it is, which means you become financially responsible for that $100,000 or whatever it is. And Solomon is saying, son, don't do that. Don't co-sign for somebody. Don't, don't, um, you know, make yourself a pledge. In fact, it's interesting. Um, let's, let's look at how this works. Um, walk with me in your Bible, Proverbs chapter 6. Just flip the page to the right a little bit to chapter 11, verse 15. Chapter 11, verse 15. Now, again, Israelite law allowed this to happen, but Solomon is saying it's really a bad idea. Okay. Now, now there's a couple of occasions where maybe it, it may be wise, and, and I'm, I'm not here saying, as Pastor Keith, you should never co-sign on any loan for any person. I'm not saying that. What Solomon is saying is be very careful. Be very, very careful. Okay. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Look Proverbs chapter 11, verse 15. I love this. He who is guarantor, same idea, you, you've put down the pledge, for a stranger will surely suffer for it. So if you do that, you're going to suffer, is what he's saying. But he who hates being a guarantor is secure. Okay? So if you do not want to be bound to a financial obligation that's going to cost you a lot, don't do it. Okay, flip the page, a couple more to chapter 17, verse 18. It's going to get even more picturesque here. Watch how this works. Chapter 17, verse 18. 
Teenagers, you need to be thinking about this when you're thinking about buying your first car and you think, well, it's okay. I don't have any credit. I don't have any money, but I have mom and dad. So moms and dads be listening up on this, okay? So this is uh, kind of personal here. And chapter 17, verse 18. Um, a man lacking in sense pledges and becomes guarantor in the presence of his neighbor. Hmm. Now, now notice, notice the, light. The, the idea is it seems like the loving thing to do in the moment, doesn't it? it, just, it that, that's what, it's a nice thing to do. Solomon's saying it's, it's a dumb thing to do. Don't do it. That's what he's saying. Flip the page, chapter 20, verse 16. Chapter 20, verse 16. Uh, watch this. This is really interesting. Take his garment when he becomes surety for a stranger, and for foreigners, hold him in pledge. Uh, what does that mean? That means people may come and legally take your stuff. If you put yourself in this situation and the other person defaults, it becomes your responsibility. And, and you know, you think about people didn't have cars and big houses and stuff like that. They might come and take your wardrobe. They might take the one coat you have, and it's a cold winter. So that, that's where this goes, is you, you may lose basic necessities uh, by doing something foolish like this. One more, chapter 22, verses 26 and 27. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. For it, Listen to this. Uh, teenagers, you need to listen to this. For if you have nothing with which to pay... Why should he take your bed from under you? And you know what? Um, they will take your car. My, my dad's first job, my dad was in finance his whole life, and he worked for the little uh, bank in the town I grew up in, in the city of Orange in Southern California. And one of the first things he did was he repossessed cars. I'm thinking, when you're a kid, dad's got a cool job. He goes and takes people's cars when they're sleeping. Well, that's awesome. Oh, isn't that cool? Um, but that's what he did. Um, and, and that's what they're saying here is that if you, if you can't pay it back and you've, you've signed the document, they're going to come and take your stuff. They will find something to take. And you can't do anything about it because you're legally bound to that. So what does all that say? Even though, at least in Israelite law, it was allowable, of course, today, uh, and, and, and teenagers will talk about finances because there are 101 really bad things you can do to get you in trouble financially today. And we'll talk about most of them in our time. Okay, But Proverbs consistently warns against putting up such a pledge. Often this warning is linked to putting up surety for strangers. We saw that. But the overall message does not seem to limit the application in this way. It's saying with any... You'll certainly don't do it with a stranger. But be very careful. And I would say very very humbly to, to moms and dads, grandparents, I'm not saying it's never honoring to Jesus to co-sign on a loan or to help your kids out, something like that. Here's what I am saying. The Proverbs is saying if you're going to do that, you need to understand the risk and be 100% okay with what could happen. Um, so, so on, on your notes there, the, the closest equivalent we might draw for today would be co-signing on a loan. That, that's, that's the closest equivalent we can make for what Solomon is teaching here in chapter 6. Now, now here's, I, I think this is why Solomon would say it's dangerous. And this actually helps us when thinking about, you know, is, is there a time when this is honoring to the Lord? Think about this principle. 
the danger, the, the, what, prop, what Solomon seems to be getting at is the danger seems to be making yourself financially liable for repayment of a debt over which you have no control. Because if it's a neighbor, if it's a friend, if it's a stranger, it's no, you, you don't have any control. Now, it, if, if it is your dependent child, you do have control, don't you? Or you have some level of control. So, it, again, that's why I say I'm, I'm not trying to make a, an apples-to-apples apples comparison here. It's not the exact same thing. But I do think that the, the bare minimum as parents is we need to say, well, hang on, wait a minute, I need to really think about what I'm doing. Am I really helping my teenage son or daughter by doing this? Um, uh, the guy that uh, that taught Lisa and I about a biblical view of finances when we were in premarriage counseling uh, used to say this. He used to say, give rather than co-sign for a need. And and his point was, not that you should do this with everybody, but his point is, if, if you're trying to help somebody out and you believe it honors God to help them, give it to them. Give it to them. No strings attached. And if they pay you back, awesome. If you don't, that's a better situation than now if the relationship starts eroding because now... You're, you're in conflict with somebody, a family member, a friend, and now you've got this financial conflict between you and it ends up breaking the relationship. Okay? Now, now, that advice is, is, we would say, an application of biblical wisdom. It's not a thus saith the Lord, but I, th- I think there is wisdom in uh, what we were told uh, back in the day. Okay? Now, the text describes, look at this, uh, back to chapter 6, uh, verse 2, if you have been snared with the words of your mouth, you have been caught with the words of your mouth. The, the implication is you spoke too soon. Okay, You end up becoming a pledge for this loan and you spoke too soon. You didn't think it through. You ever done that? You ever spoke too soon and made a bad decision? Happens at car dealers everywhere in the Petroplex. Sorry, happens at Best Buy. Uh, right? You make a decision quickly and then you're driving home, or a couple weeks later, you're going, what did I do? It seemed so great when the Best Buy guy was talking to me. And then I actually looked at the terms. Ugh. Right? So that's what he's saying, is if you've spoken too soon, you've spoken prematurely without making a wise decision, um, <laughs> notice what he says. You have been caught with the words of your mouth. Notice, these are words. These are not words out of the financial world. These are words out of the hunting world. You've been caught. You've been ensnared like an animal in a trap. And that's the picture, right? You're like an animal caught in a trap because now you're financially obligated in a situation that is not good. So you're ensnared. You're caught by making such an obligation. What should you do when that happens? Verse three, do this then, my son, and deliver yourself since you have become, you have come into the hands of your neighbor. Notice young person, teenager, 20 something person. God doesn't say, well, you made a bad decision. Everybody makes mistakes. That's, that's true but you need to do something about it. That's what Solomon is saying. You need to act quickly. What do you do? Verse 3. Go. There's first command. Now, this is like, this is a shotgun of commands. Okay, the first thing you do is you go. You get off the couch and you go do something about it. Your problem will not go away by ignoring it. That's a great lesson of life, teenagers. If you ignore your problem, they typically just get bigger. They don't get solved. So you have to say, you know what? I made a bad choice. I need to go do something about it. What does that require? Number two, humble yourself. 
Do you know why? Uh, look up for a second, teenagers. Look up. Do you know why we old people don't fix problems as quickly as we should, even though we know we made problems? Because we're proud. We're proud. Sometimes we do something, we make a bad decision, and because we don't want to admit that we made a bad decision, we don't want to go and say to the person we made the promise to or to the bank or whatever it is and say, I'm sorry, I really made the wrong decision, I need to, I need to get out of this in some way, I need, I need to make things right and, and get out. You know why we don't do that? Because we're prideful. And you are too, teenager. So that's why Solomon puts his finger on the main heart issue that's needed if we're going to get ourselves out of this situation. You have to humble yourself. You have to admit, I made a bad choice. You know, you're looking at that car. And you're going, I love that car. But it's maybe not quite as cool as it was when I was looking at it. And maybe it's not quite as fun to drive as when I was thinking about it. And you're thinking, you know what, to, to young person, you, you may say one day when you're a newlywed, to make our finances work, we got to get rid of one of these cars. we got to do that. And part of growing up, part of being mature is saying we need to humble ourselves and say, you know what, maybe we were a bit foolish when we, we made that loan for that car and we need to sell it, we need to get our money, and we need to pay cash for something that's going to get us to and from work, but will allow us to be better financial stewards at this stage in our marriage. But see, that takes humility. You have to admit that this isn't the right thing to do. All your friends are driving around in their Mustangs and their Camaros and they're all whatever they're driving, right? And you have to say, you know what? I'm okay with my Corolla from 1996 or whatever it is. So um, it takes humility. So go, right? Humble yourself. Watch this. Inopportune your neighbor. What does that mean? Don't say, oh, no, I don't want to have that conversation. He's not going to like me. They're going to think I'm stupid. They're, they're going to think, you know, what are they going to think about me? Solomon looks his son in the eye and says, do not care about what your neighbor is going to think. Go do this now. It's that important. Go humble yourself, importune your neighbor. Look at this. Give no sleep to your eyes. Give no slumber to your eyelids. This is, you know, don't, don't sleep on it. Go do something about it right away. Now, now notice the picture. Verse 5. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Uh, how many of you guys hunt? Young people, old people? Raise your hand if you hunt. Girls, guys, okay? How many fish? Okay, shoot birds for fun or for game or for, okay, all right. Now, now, so, so those of you that have done that, um, how, t- tell me about the, the, the disposition of the fish when your hook is in his lip, okay? Is he like, or is he flopping all around? He's trying to get off that thing, right? You know, you, you shoot that buck, you shoot that bird, or whatever you shoot, whatever you're, and, and, and you can, especially if you don't hit a clean shot and, and the animal is just injured, what's that animal trying to do? He's trying to run away as quickly from you as possible. And, and there, there is, he's not thinking, 
well, gee, maybe I need to, you know, maybe I need to tidy up my house first, or maybe I need to get a little bit of sleep first. It, it, it's, it's, and that, it, it's almost comical, the picture here. He's saying, son, what is that animal like when you shoot him? <laughs> when you trap him? Obviously, they didn't have shotguns back then, but you get it? Okay. He's trying to get out of it, and he said, that's, that's the motive. That's the picture you need to have when you realize you've made a foolish financial decision. You need to do something about it now. You need to do about it right away. So on your notes there, deliver yourself like a trapped animal would desire to go. The counsel is clear. Deliver yourself from the obligations as quickly as possible. Don't sleep. Humble yourself and give no thought to how it might importune the one for whom you provided the pledge. Now, Solomon, teenagers, are Solomon, is Solomon pretty clear here? Um, and this, this, is, this is no true. And financial people, you tell me if this is true or not. You can make a decision as a teenager, as a young person, financially, that will follow you for the rest of your life. You can do that. And Solomon is saying, don't do that. In fact, one of the best things, teenagers, young people, one of the best things you can do is early on, in your life, sit down with one of these wonderful people in our congregation here is wise, godly, mature, understands finances way better than you do, and say, can you give me some counsel? In fact, we, we have one of our staff counselors here who is a certified financial counselor, and that's part of why he's here. And guess what? He's free. Isn't that awesome? He's free. Wonderful guy. And so sit, and, and I'm looking around the room thinking there's, there's wonderful financial wisdom in this congregation right here. So, so young people know that, that that's part of how we want to serve you as the body of Christ, to, to give you those opportunities. Talk to your parents. Talk to some of these other folks here, and they would love to sit down and give you counsel before, before you make a bad financial decision. Or if you have, if you have made a bad financial decision, don't be prideful about it. Humble yourself. Go figure out what, what the solution is. Talk, get some counsel, and then let them help you make a plan to get out of it. Okay? So adults, how, how many, just to help our teenagers here, how many of you have made a, a, a bad financial decision sometime in your life? Raise your hand. Okay? Do you regret it? You regret it now? You wish you'd made a different decision? Okay. So, so young people learn from our mistakes. Okay? Let's do that. Okay. So surety for strangers. Be careful about obliging yourself in that way. Let's talk about not just finances that we need to talk about. We need to talk also, secondly, about laziness. And and you'll notice, um, it's interesting, it seems like three random topics, but Solomon puts some content in here that actually links these three different sections together. For example, in verse 4, he says, Give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. In a moment, in talking about the sluggard, he's going to say, What's the sluggard's problem? He sleeps when he should be working. So there's these little links between these three little narratives that if you're looking closely, you see that they're not totally isolated. They're actually connected together. So we need to analyze, secondly, analyzing ants or lying down in laziness. We might call it that, okay? Chapter 6, verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief or officer or ruler prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and your poverty will come in like a vagabond or a uh, a traveling uh, crook, and your need like an armed man. So, young person, the, the, the second 
area here. It's, you know, first area is be careful financially, especially when you're, you're pledging yourself in some way for someone else's loan. The second area is this issue of laziness and self-governance. That part of your goal, teenager, as you get ready to leave home is to say, can I govern myself? Can I manage my life on my own? Which means basic responsibility, taking uh, a responsibility for your finances, taking responsibility for your job, taking responsibility for doing a job well, uh, taking responsibility for relationships in your life, taking responsibility when you say you're going to do something, that you follow through with it. All of those are aspects of maturity and responsibility that all adults need to have. And what this section is saying is you need to grow to where you're managing that for yourself. Nobody's telling you to do it. I mean, God's design is not when you're 28 that your mom is is calling you saying, did you pay your bills this month? Okay, and, and, and all the moms in the room say, amen, right, we don't want to do that. That's not our job self-governing, okay? So, so watch how this works. He says, first of all, go and study the ant. And, and this is where we see this, this creative genius of a dad. If you just sit down and say, son, you shouldn't be lazy, and you, know, you need to be responsible, you need to work hard, uh, that's good. But wise parents know how to creatively engage their children, and that's exactly what Solomon does here. He comes up with an analogy that's going to provoke interest, right? It's going to provoke, you know, kids. my kids love bugs, we have, a, we have a board, for crying out loud, in our kitchen that has dead bugs all over it because it's cool and interesting to have a bug, a, a bug board in your kitchen. So you can stare at all the little bugs that have crawled into our house and we have, we have killed them and made them products of science and now we can observe them, okay? That's awesome and, and then that's why, that's why Solomon picks something that's interesting and he says, go study that because now there's some interest involved in just one more of mom and dad's lectures, right? So, so go study the ant and what do, what do you, what do you notice? Now teenagers notice this because I know you love ants like I do. You go and you study the ants and you're looking down and, and these, by the way, these are Palestinian carpenter ants. These are not Texas fire ants. Okay, so there's a big difference, okay? Uh, as far as I know, they didn't have uh, Texas fire ants in Palestine in this day anyway, but they're carpenter ants, they're worker ants. And, and you, if you notice, you see them and they're walking in the line and they're going that way and then, you know, okay, oh, they're coming back the other way and, and, and they're, they're building stuff. They're doing stuff. They're gathering food. They're building houses. And you don't see, I have never seen in my life, an ant there with a, with a reflective vest and a bullhorn going... Move it. Keep it up. Keep on. You're going the wrong way. You, you don't see anything like that. Why? Because they're self-governing. Okay. And I'm not an ant expert, but from what I've read, Solomon's analogy is absolutely true. Okay. You go and you look. Now, what are we supposed to pick up on when we go and observe ants, teenagers? It says, observe her ways and be wise. Well, what, what's so wise about an ant? Verse seven. They have no chief. No officer, no ruler, no parents. I mean, they probably had parents at one time in their life, but, but you know, the parents not there, you know, calling them, texting them, did you do this, did you do that, are you out of bed, did you go to work today, did you do your homework, your bill's paid. There's none of that. 
It's go and recognize that these tiny little creatures are convicting to us big people because they are self-governing. That's what we're supposed to see. First of all, on your notes there, they are self-governing and self-starting. That's two qualities that every young person needs. You learn to govern yourself and you learn to start yourself in the morning. All right? They have no chief, no officer, no ruler. But And yet, verse 8, they prepare food in the summer and they gather provision in the harvest. So not only are they self-governing and self-starting, look at this, they plan ahead and they prepare appropriately. Now, now the average, the average outlook of a teenager in looking into the future is about three minutes. It really is, right? Right? Teen, teenage parents, is that about right? Yeah, a young person is mostly, the, 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 the forethought of a young person's eyes is right here. What's going on right now? Unless, you know, maybe there's a, a sports event coming up or, or lunch is coming close and then they're looking there. Okay? But they don't, they're not thinking far into the future. And this is talking about between seasons, right? This is saying when it's time to plant, you need to plant. Or even before that, when it's time to till the ground. I mean, talk to Mr. Poteet over here about his garden. Right? And it's time to till the ground, and then you plant, and then you nourish, and then you water, and then you prepare, and then all along the way, months later, there's a harvest. And then you go and you harvest, and you take that food, and what do you do with it? You, you eat it all at once, right? No. What do you do with some of it? You store it for when? When stuff doesn't grow. Why would you want to do that? Because you're going to want to eat then too, right? Okay? Do you see this, this idea of foresight and planning and thinking ahead and saying, you know, if I do this now, this is going to happen. If I don't do this now, then this is going to happen. And just learning that, taking the initiative, preparing and planning ahead. That's something, young person, that you need to learn how to do. That's something that we old people need to learn how to do if we haven't mastered that yet. Um, so the ant is a wonderful... A picture of self-governance, self-starting, planning, and preparing appropriately. Now notice in contrast the stereotypical teenager, which is here called a sluggard. Now it doesn't say teenager in your Bible, but really that's a nice way of what Solomon is actually getting at. Now the word sluggard here doesn't have anything to do with the actual creature that we would say is a slug. The word actually means slow one or idle one. Now notice... Notice the stereotypical teenager is going to struggle in three particular areas. The sluggard struggles with three particular areas. Number one, sleep. Um, Sleeping too much, sleeping when one not ought to sleep, or in some cases, not sleeping enough. Okay, now the emphasis here is on sleeping when you should be working, but think about that. You know, there, there are some young people that are burning at both ends... Because they're, they're living this, this dream that they're trying to achieve or, or they're trying to please somebody or they're trying to achieve something and they're not getting enough sleep. Okay, the Bible will talk about that here in a little bit. But the point is that's an area they need, they need to struggle with. Um, procrastination. What do they say? Verse 10. When, when, when someone is trying to awake them from their sleep saying, you need to go get to work, what do they say? Verse 10, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. They're saying, five more minutes. They're saying the snooze button one more time. And, and that, that's, it's the procrastination. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put it off a little longer and then I'll get to work. That's the second area. The third area, idle, the folding of the hands. They're not productive. 
Actually, teenagers kind of ping between two poles. They don't do anything productive. Okay, they're they're lazy. And teenagers, I'm not picking on you. We were all teenagers once. We were all here. And some of us, maybe more of us, are still trying to refine all this stuff. Okay, so we're not picking on you. Um, Not productive at all, idle, or they're really, really, really busy, but in things that don't really matter. You know, video games. Those are fun. Those are entertaining. It's not what your life's supposed to be about. Um, Entertainment. Social media. Uh, it's not what life is about. You know, nothing wrong with it in moderation. But, but they swing between not doing anything and doing a whole bunch of the wrong things. And so part of what we're trying to do is, is what does industry look like? What is being industrious? What, what, is, what is working and, and putting your effort into things that really do matter? Not that you can't have fun, not that you can't have friends, entertainment. That's all part of it. But that's not, that's not the sole drive of your life. So sleeping, procrastination, and idleness. And, and the scripture says here, uh, a father to a son, so teenagers, listen up here, if, if you don't learn to govern yourself, what's going to happen? Verse 11, your poverty will come in like a vagabond. That's a, someone who shows up in your town and, and ransacks your house. The idea is that it's sudden, right? It's, it's unexpected. It happens when you're not expecting it. And your need, like an armed man, and of course you don't know when someone's going to break into your house. So the emphasis of the pictures is when you're least expecting it, all of a sudden you don't have any money. You don't have any food. And of course in this culture they didn't have a welfare system, a safety net if you will. Um, but the point is self-governance is... I, I, do you know any... I shouldn't say this because there probably are exceptions because of reasons. But, you know, can I just say this, young, pe- young people? Most successful people in the world are self-governing people. They know how to manage themselves. They know how to plan ahead. They know how to take responsibility. They are um, being careful about procrastinating. Um, and, and what Solomon is saying is, son, if you learn these things while you're young, that sets you up for success and, and honoring God in, in business, in family, in work. Uh, in church, whatever it is, you, these are not. This is not unique to a business relationship. These these are skills that you need in every any area of life to be successful as God defines it. So um, so let's a uh, young person think about your finances. Be learning that now. Now's the time to be wise financially and fight fight the dragon of laziness in your life now. Uh, don't wait for your mom or dad to tell you to do it. Take ownership of that and be growing in those things. And those will be two ingredients to help uh, your future success in life and in ministry. Okay, we'll put a comment in our notes. We'll come back and uh, we'll pick it up next time. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful uh, for your grace toward us and that as we see uh, this text, it's so terribly practical um, in, terms of, um, uh, in terms of what uh, you call us to do uh, and, and the challenges that we all face, whether we're young or old, uh, we see these temptations in our heart. Lord, we pray for our young people that they would grow in maturity and wisdom. Most of all, that they would grow in love for you, that, that the fear of the Lord, a love for the Lord is the motivation behind these things. And then, and then Lord, that they would grow to be financially wise and, and men and women that would self-govern themselves uh, by your grace and uh, by your the counsel of your word. Lord, thank you that we have a church of men and women that, at least in my opinion, are exemplifying these characteristics. 
And I thank you that our young people have godly parents and they have godly men and women in our church that are willing to come alongside and help them to see that uh, they don't have to figure this out on their own. Uh, there, are, there are wonderful people here that would love to invest in them. And so, Lord, I pray that our teenagers would reach out to some of those people, whether it's through our mentoring program or small groups or youth group, whatever it is, and uh, take advantage of that so that we will grow in these ways. Lord, thank you that you love us enough to give us counsel so practical like this that, that we can go home this afternoon and start putting this to practice. Uh, give us grace now to be doers of the word. In Christ's name, amen.